Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week. I want to say <laughs> sunny, beautiful January day because here in California, we have been having some very nice weather and I apologize for anyone who's dealing with snowstorms right now. <laughs> Yeah, I can't help but think of global warming, but yeah. Let's just enjoy what we have in front of us. I mean, yeah, <laughs> so I'm just like, so glad that we can spend time outside because yeah. Logan is, if he doesn't go outside probably once an hour, we are Tantrum City. So I don't know what we would do if we lived where it was snowing. I, I mean, I think that should be everyone, right? Like we should all be outside. Like I think... We don't think about yeah. that as much. And obviously, if you're in snowstorm weather, yeah, it sucks. But I think this challenge, it was like a thousand hours outside or something floating yeah, around on Instagram. Too, yeah. yeah, which is interesting. And it's just, I think, just trying to get out as much or as little as you can, even 10 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to do the math to figure out how much that is a day. And then <laughs> I usually like math, but 2022, I almost said 2023 for some reason. I don't uh, know why, but... <laughs> mode of like, I don't even want to know. I'll just try to go outside if I can. No, it like I remember when I saw it, I was like, dude, that's a lot of time outside. <laughs> like, and it's different if you're running errands and things, but like if it's true, but anyway, maybe it's not for some people, maybe two but and a half hours. I don't hours. know if that counts as being outside if you're going like, I mean, just from your car to a store. I mean, it, I mean, it should. Because you're getting outside, especially with this pandemic. Like people are just remember, remember in March of 2020, when we thought it was going to be two weeks. We probably have that on the podcast. Remember when we wanted the podcast to be evergreen and then we weren't going to talk about the pandemic and then we had to. And we tried that. We tried that for a little bit and it did did not last. Yeah, back when I don't think we even left our houses, we thought we could catch COVID from just walking around our neighborhood. Thank God that's not the case. It's wild. I don't even. Yeah, it's nuts. Anyway. Anyway. we're, We're here. It's almost February. January felt like a million years and also two seconds at the yep. same time, which I yep. guess that's the life of having a toddler is what I hear. So. Absolutely. One of the things that I, I did want to remind people is we are trying to do videos on Instagram because that's all the rage right now. They're not going to be super cutesy. Maybe one of them will be. I don't know. Um, uh, please don't ask us to start doing reels and dances because it's not going to be pretty. Oh, like, if you guys now really you to, have to no. so that we can get Amanda to do it. Do <laughs> no, then we can get Amanda to do it. Anyway, we get tons of questions to our Inclusive Education Project, and we're always happy to answer questions. But if you guys have a spare second, you can also ask those questions, DM us on Instagram, and then your question will be answered. We've gotten a lot of great questions from a lot of different people, and we want to keep that going. So please submit them there. And maybe you'll have some questions after your you hear about today's guest. We're really ecstatic to have more of a scholarly position, right, on critical disability studies and early childhood inclusive education. So, Nicole Eilers, welcome to our podcast. You want to give a little spiel about yourself to our listeners? 
Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I love the work that you all are doing and your community, and I'm really excited to get a chance to chat with y'all today. Yeah. So I'm Nicole. I am joining y'all right now from North Carolina, and I live over here with my husband and our one-year-old and our three-year-old. So I relate to a lot. Oh yeah, you're in it, Amanda. Uh (laughs) You are Um, in it, and. So I'm also getting a little bit of the experience of, you know, having studied early childhood and having been an early childhood educator and Mm -hmm. now having young children and being a parent in that position. So that's Mm -hmm. been a really interesting experience and I think has added quite a bit to my perspective. But yeah, a little bit more about my background. So I initially studied child development and family studies during my undergraduate studies. And then I worked as a special education teacher in a pre-K classroom. And then I moved into a role as the special education teacher at a hospital school. So I was working in that situation one-on-one with students who were hospitalized long-term or who were homebound and who also had some sort of identified disability. And then during that work, I was supporting them a lot, transitioning back into classrooms. And during that time, I also started to work on my master's in early intervention and family studies. And while I was doing my master's, I was exposed to some literature in the field of disability studies and education and kind of reading that literature at the same time as I was working really gave me an interesting perspective and made me question a lot of things that I had never questioned before in the field of early childhood and how we approach inclusion and special education. And that kind of led me to pursue my PhD full-time back in school and really leading with that question of, okay, what does critical disability studies as a field, which I can get into more in a bit, what does that have to offer to early childhood inclusive education? And um, what does that mean for teacher education? Yeah, we would love to kind of get into it if you want to explain, you know, what critical disability studies is and maybe some key terms. I know some we use ableism and disabledism a lot and sometimes we forget and we use acronyms a lot too in special education and we forget that not everybody knows that. So if you could give kind of a brief kind of synopsis of it, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So I can do that by talking about kind of some of the key ideas that really resonated with me when I was a classroom teacher. So as I was kind of reading this disability studies literature, the things that I started thinking about were how do external factors result in disabling conditions? Mm. So, and that is kind of coming more from this social model of disability perspective, which I think I've heard y'all talk about that on the podcast before. So the idea that whether it's attitudes Mm -hmm. toward ability or environmental factors, or to give a classroom example, fluorescent lighting can result in a disabling condition. So how do those external factors result in disabling conditions in the classroom? How do our ideas about what qualities are considered normal how do those shape our approaches to creating systems and environments and curriculum and all kinds of things? And so that kind of relates more to ableism, mm-hmm. uh, which you just mentioned. So one example of that might be how do our ideas about what it means to be a normal child come yes. up in the way that we write IEP goals, uh-huh. the way that 
um, provide instruction in the classroom? Are we writing IEP goals that are more about shaping a child's behavior to get them to, you know, appear more normal? And is that whose benefit is that for? So that is another component. And then a third one is how do lived experiences of disability, how are those experiences had by children in the classroom and how those lived experiences are really complex and they're fluid. And they also provide us with a really necessary and transformative perspective. And so that kind of allows disability to be an identity that is really important for children Mm -hmm. and that has a lot to offer to the way that we approach education. And that also can result in impairments that are really challenging and, you know, that supports um, are important for and that sort of thing. So those are kind of like the initial ideas and to put it in different terms, when I think about critical disability studies, I think about how disableism and ableism are always interacting with each other mm-hmm. and are always at play. And then in the context of the inclusive classroom, really thinking about inclusion as this ongoing project, mm-hmm. we haven't achieved inclusion just because we placed mm-hmm. students together in a classroom. Mm-hmm. There's more that we have to do. And it's also not something that's achieved because we've decided, you know, these specific quality indicators mean that we've created an inclusive classroom. It's really context specific. And so I think that for teacher education, it's really important to train teachers who feel really confident going into a classroom and searching for, okay, where are kind of my own ableist assumptions coming in and influencing the way that I am interacting with children? Where are there, you know, disabling experiences occurring in my classroom? And also knowing how to support children in really describing and communicating what inclusion would mean for them and how to make that happen in the classroom. So I guess that's kind of the early childhood component is we a lot of times think about children as being, you know, too young to understand disability Mm -hmm. or too young to have anything really to offer to the conversation. And that's really not the case. And I think when I think back to kind of the very beginning of my journey into learning about critical disability studies, one thing that really drove that was an observation that I had in a classroom where a child was asking about why his classmate couldn't talk. And the teacher, I could tell, was really caught off guard and not sure how to respond and kind of reacted basically just by guiding the conversation in a different direction. And I want to say that I totally understand that teachers are so much is coming their way all of the time. You have to make a million decisions a day as a teacher. And so I want to say that I'm not um, criticizing this teacher at all, but I do think that it's really important to circle back to that question about to not give children the, the impression that talking about disability is a bad thing and also not to limit children's opportunities to better understand one another because that really limits opportunities for meaningful connection in the classroom and really ultimately is going to continue to result in exclusion. And there's so much that you said in that that I think we want to break down. Amanda, I know that you were going to try to jump in there. Yeah, so 
so many things. I mean, I can definitely say from experience the idea that there's not an age where a kid is too young to learn about a lot of things. Like, certainly there's things that are more complex in our world that, you know, takes a little bit more development to get there. But in terms of learning about people and learning about connection, you're never too young. And firsthand, I worked in an elementary school that was full inclusion. 20% of the population had special needs. And from they had a TK program. From the TK program, they were included. But it, and it wasn't just amazing to see how well the school, because it was like one of those one in a million schools that does it right, you know, how the kids on IEPs had such a benefit, but all the other children, they were exposed to different types of children early on. And it wasn't like, you know, oh, well, this child, you know, has a disability and we're just going to, you know, put them in the corner. It was, this is Johnny. You know, mm-hmm. this is Sarah. Mm-hmm. This is another student in your class. This is your classmate. And I think, you know, there's that mentality of, okay, we want to treat them just the same, but there is a caution in that, you know, are we taking away from the opportunity to teach the other children about these disabilities and about, you know, differences the same way we would when we see a child struggling to shoot a basketball, right? Because they're not necessarily as athletic. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. So I think, the idea that, you know, kids aren't too young to learn about it, but the idea that the teachers aren't, like you hit the nail on the head, the teachers aren't necessarily trained for that. They're not, a general education teacher isn't exposed to very much related to special education. Mm -hmm. They're not exposed to learning. How do I approach this? I mean, I'm sure most of us wouldn't know how to answer to a child, something like that, because you're hesitant because you don't want to, a lot of people don't want to offend people but the slippery slope of that is if we don't talk about it we get the kids who grow up saying oh we don't talk about it you know it's like i'm gonna pull from encanto because that's all we watch in our house right now it's like we don't talk about bruno like no we don't talk about it right we are dealing with kids who grow up that way and then well we're separate and we do this they do that and that's the opposite of inclusion right yeah i think that when we, it's like out of the mouth of babes, right? Like they can see differences in faces as early as like a couple months old, right? And to be able to, you know, when the child is asking you a question and you're kind of caught off guard, just like as a person, not necessarily even as a teacher, it's okay to say, you know what, that's a good question. And like, give yourself, you know, some time. And instead of just completely redirecting it, and, you know, just, you know, what do you see, you know, and, and kind of getting curious, I think that takes away any of the like shame or, you know, redirection that sometimes people who are caught off guard do. And, you know, when we want to, it's not necessarily about equality, it's more about the equity of a situation. We want to be sure that we celebrate people's abilities and unique needs. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you were saying it's not just like parading this child into your class and wow, you're so inclusive. It's really about making it work. And I think that from the work that we do in the IEP meetings that we go to, oh my gosh, like And we're not experts by any means, right? We don't have teaching certificates. We haven't gone through a teaching course. But some of the examples that we have to bring to each IEPs are from other teachers that are being innovative or have taken these certifications or these classes to better equip themselves for how to actually do it. I said this before, and it was just the most recent example. 
that Amanda was and I were talking about at one of our team meetings a few weeks ago that I had already mentioned, but it was like the teacher was like, well, what do you mean I need to collaborate with the special education teacher? And it's like, hello, like the special education teacher should have ideas of how to be more inclusive, right? And so is that, so when you're studying like the cross between this and because of your experience as a teacher, do you have kind of some examples? I think our listeners love having examples that they can use in their own life. And I know we've talked a little bit about it, but what else have you kind of seen that you think like a teacher could try to to implement or advocate on behalf of a child for inclusivity? Sure. I mean, so when I think about, so during my dissertation work, I basically was working with a classroom of teachers and children towards this goal of figuring out what inclusion looked like in their specific classroom and specifically kind of applying more of this critical disability studies approach. Mm-hmm. And what we really took away from that was the importance of like dedicating specific time in the classroom for conversations about things that might need to change or instances of exclusion. And so what came out of those conversations was pretty amazing a lot of times. So uh, one child, you know, offered that at the end of the day, my brain is so tired and I can't do writing. And Mm. so can we have it earlier in the Mm -hmm. day was ultimately the conclusion that they reached after talking about it for a little while. And, you know, that's a concern that was raised by a child. So um, I think that giving children this space within the classroom setting, even though, you know, teachers are so limited in terms of time, but just having some amount of, you know, weekly time to just check in with everyone and give an opportunity to think about what's going really well and what's not offers that opportunity for children to really be participating in their own project of inclusion Mm -hmm. and making their classroom inclusive. Yeah, you're definitely going to get not only more buy-in from each of the students in their day-to-day, but you're teaching the power of, like, collaborating with each other and, like, working together because most likely one of the other students has the same concern that the one student has and if they have that conversation of what else can we do differently rather than it just being the teacher saying, okay, we'll do this. I think that's so powerful because, you know, we talk about learning problem solving skills and and things like that in the later years, but it's not too early to start all those conversations either. Right. When just the fact of being curious just gave like a wonderful example of, okay, like behavior is a form of communication and I will just die on that hill because oftentimes it's just like he's not motivated he's lazy and this is I'm saying this because I literally just got an email from one of my clients where this is happening and it's like but where is that lack of motivation coming from he's got D's in all his classes he's completely overwhelmed anxiety manifests in avoidance you know everybody's anxiety looks a little bit different especially if you have a neuro divergent brain as well, right? And I know we posted this a a few weeks ago, but it's like, you know, wearing glasses is a disability. You know, it's, you know, your eyes require correction, but it's something that is just so seamless in our culture, right? Those glasses lobbyists like made it so it seems seamless. No, but, you know, people don't think about that. And for us having this podcast and starting these conversations surrounding ableism and how it permeates. And we had, and I, I always blank on everybody's name. I apologize. I'm sleep deprived, but we had a discussion about this and how 
At one point in your life, you may experience a disability. It might be when you're super old. It might be when you broke your toe. It might be, you know, wearing glasses, whatever. You know, we've always said, well, you know somebody with, you know, some type of disability. But now we can say, well, you may experience it. But you don't have to wait to experience it in order to, and you know, to actually implement it. And I think what you had said earlier, too, is how am I inadvertently doing this? And I think that that's really hard for people. They don't think, and I'm sure that we've messed up plenty of times in saying things differently or in a way that is not used anymore. And how, you know, is it a child with autism? Is it autistic child? You know, like we go back and forth and, you know, as long as you're trying to do your best as a teacher, I think those are the teachers that really shine through for us. And that's why we wanted, you know, to have your unique perspective on and talking through this because it kind of sounds scary. It, you know, it's like critical disability. So like, what is that? Right. And so we're happy you broke it down concept of it if you don't have the training and the expertise mm-hmm. and you're not receiving the training can absolutely seem daunting but I think mm-hmm. the way you kind of even broke it down to even say as simple as like when we're looking at the goals yep are we looking at it from a lens of being inclusive or are we looking at it like I think I saw someone post it might have been someone on, on Instagram might have been a speech therapist who was posting about like there's such a focus for kids with autism to have goals about eye contact. Mm. But like when it comes down to it, like if we're talking about getting the child to have eye contact or we're talking about giving the, having the child like interact, initiate interaction with a peer in the classroom, like which one is actually more important mm-hmm. for them to be in the mm-hmm. classroom, access the classroom and be included, you know, because there are going to be things that are going to be hard for different children based on their impairments, based on their disabilities. But it's that focus on, well, they have to be like everybody else because everybody else gives eye contact. So I like when you talked about how, you know, looking at the goals from that lens, that's the start. That's how we get there, I think. Yeah, I think what both of you just said kind of relates to the idea that inclusion is like, it's really complicated and it can be really messy and Vicky, what you said about, you know, not wanting to say the wrong thing. And yeah, I think that that fear comes into play quite a bit. And I think that it's so important, you know, to create these classroom environments where children also feel comfortable to kind of, to say the wrong thing and learn from it. And I think that that's like Mm -hmm. a really great thing for teachers to model too, as like that, yeah, I'm learning and I can also say, oh, I did this the other day and I didn't realize that it was going to result in this. And so this is what I'm going to do to change it. And kind of like actively showing children how we are reflecting on things and making changes based on that. And, you know, comfortable with the idea of making mistakes and learning from them. Because I think that that also is something that's less and less, you know, okay in, in the classroom and something that is really important for yeah absolutely so one of the things we love doing on this podcast is giving like real world examples and real world suggestions and i could see like the wealth of knowledge of like giving examples of ways that we could change like help with certain problems i would love to maybe if you'd be willing to come back on i'd love to maybe have you on to the pod again to maybe feel some concerns that parents have about inclusion and maybe we can help our audience, um, you know, shift their perspective on it. I would love that. That would be great. 
Awesome. Well, listeners, if you're listening to this and you have, you're thinking about everything we've been talking about and you're thinking, man, I have these things that come up in my classroom or, you know, maybe you're a parent and you've seen it on the playground. We'd love for you to shoot us your questions or concerns and and we'll definitely get Nicole back on and maybe we'll have like a, a full segment where we kind of go over real world examples. Sounds like a plan. I love it. I'm going to send in questions because <laughs> we can keep talking to you for forever. Nicole, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And for your future time when we have you back on, if people wanted to contact you, I know you have an Instagram if you want to shout out the handle, but if there's any other way that they can contact you other than contacting us so that we can have you back on, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. So my Instagram is at critically inclusive and yeah i'd love to connect with people over there otherwise i can share my email with you all to maybe add in the show notes and i'm happy to receive any emails with questions or feedback anything like that excellent well thank you for your time everybody and we'll talk to you next week bye bye